risen. Let's pray. God, you are full of grace, full of mercy. But let us not be deceived. You are a conqueror. Not with a threat to end the world, but with a promise to begin a new age. And not with a a blow from your mighty hand, but with a turn of your cheek. Not with an uprising against your enemy, but with the uplifting of your son on a cross. And then ultimately emptying the tomb of the one who saves. Oh, how you conquer. You did it then, and you're still doing it today. Sometimes we run from you or we ignore your word. So today we ask that you lead us to the empty tomb. Let us know that you are greater than our sin. And then God, lead us back to our our homes and our schools, our workplaces, that in the power of your forgiveness, we may be transformed. Not for our sake, but for the kingdom's sake. We place our lives In the hands of the one who rolled away the stone this morning, we celebrate the newness of life that is Jesus the Christ. God, we ask that you be with those that are hurting today. And pain comes in many forms. And so we ask that your healing hand be upon each individual situation to bring about peace and comfort and wholeness. Allow your resurrection power to penetrate the walls of affliction to give us rest. Help us to realize that our broken that our, that our burdens are, are, they're better off in your hands than, than on our shoulders, God. We try to carry too much. We need to give it to you. God, this morning we pray for your church, all of your churches, that today that we would be unified in our celebration of your sovereignty and your love. We thank you for Jesus and the fact that he's conquered sin and death so that we may have life and have it abundantly. Now, God, just hear us all collectively pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples when he said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning again. My name's Stephen Dickinson, the lead pastor here at The Vine. And I just want to say welcome. We are glad that you're here this morning. Listen, I heard a story the other day about a man who left his home in in North Dakota and he was headed to Florida uh, to kind of get out of the cold and get to where it was warm and wanted to go to the beach and his wife was on a business trip and so she was going to meet up with him the next day. And so when he arrives there in Florida, he shoots a, a quick email to her just to let him know, let her know that um, he had arrived. But he, he tried to type her email in from memory and guys, you know, our memories aren't that great. And so he missed a few letters and the email was inadvertently sent to a, um, an elderly preacher's wife whose husband had just passed away the day before. And so when the grieving widow checked her email, uh, she took one look at the screen and she fainted, fell out into the floor. Her family was there. They rushed over to check on her. Then they looked at the screen and they saw this message that said, Dearest wife, just checked in. Everything is prepared for your arrival tomorrow. (laughs) Your loving husband, P.S. It sure is hot down here. (laughs) 
What, what, what could be more powerful than news from the other side of death, right? Guys, that's what Easter is actually about. It is, it is about good news from the other side of the grave. Resurrection Sunday is the day that we gather to celebrate that the stone that sealed the life and the love of God has been rolled away, that our hope is alive in the resurrection of Jesus. So hear the good news this morning from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, beginning with verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and she saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and he looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. There are a lot of stories in the Bible that are fascinating, right? Full of mystery and life lessons and wisdom and intrigue and miracles, but none have captured the hearts and the minds of people like this one. None have changed the course of history like the story of Jesus rising from the grave. None of them had power like the resurrection. And as followers of Christ, this is the foundation of our faith. Everything that we teach our children, everything we talk about in our small groups, everything we sing about and everything we believe is traced back to the spiritual truth that Jesus died and rose again. It's also one of the issues, if not the biggest theological issue that every seeker and believer struggles with at some point in their faith journey. Did Jesus really get up from the grave? If you really believe that, it is a game changer. Romans 10.9 says that if you, believe with your, if, you, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, to be saved in the Christian tradition carries with it the obvious assumption that we're in need of rescuing. It implies that we need to be freed from imminent danger, that our life is imperiled, that our, our dreams and our hopes and our aspirations are all in jeopardy of being lost. And being saved is really a two-part experience because we're being saved from something, but we're also being saved to something. So what are we being saved from? Well, Scripture declares all kinds of behavior that doesn't glorify God. And not only is it not pleasing to a holy God, it's also extremely destructive to us personally. And we have come to refer to this behavior simply as sin. Sin is what separates us from God. It leads us further away from God's vision of his kingdom on earth. Sin has a negative impact on us physically and emotionally and socially and certainly spiritually. Sin has a way of, of choking out joy and peace 
from our life. It keeps us from, from reaching our full potential in Christ. And so, so that's what we're being saved from. On the other hand, a life that minimizes that sin, it looks completely different, right? When we're able to root out the sin that's destroying us, then our relationship with God improves significantly. When our behavior glorifies God, it's actually healthy for us, physically, emotionally, socially, spiritually. And so that's what we're being saved to, a reconciled relationship with God. And this is where the power of the resurrection of Jesus can have the most impact on your life. See, we can't talk about resurrection without talking about sin. You can't talk about sin without talking about resurrection. They are directly related. And we need to understand that if we have given our life to Christ, either in a, in a moment or over the course of time, when we did that, we simultaneously waged war against the enemy of our soul. And so now we are in a situation where it is kill or be killed. So I'm going to turn to the Apostle Paul to help me teach this a little bit, kind of flesh this concept out. And this is a, this is a, a great resurrection text here, and it complements our empty tomb scripture we read just a moment ago, but you might not have heard this preached on Easter morning. I don't know. So it comes from the book of Colossians, and it serves really as a springboard into our new series that we're starting next week called A New Reality that's going to address the question that a lot of people have. And, and the question is, so, so what, is, what can Jesus do for me, right? Why do I need to follow this Jesus? Well, we're going we're gonna to tell you starting next week. But here's Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourself of all the such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and you've put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. So there's, there's two competing realities really in this text, and you've probably noticed them in your own life. Um, I, I want to point them out because they can, it can be a little confusing. So in the first sentence, Paul says, you have been raised with Christ. So this is the concept of being transformed into a new creation or sanctified over time. You are growing in holiness. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, you're raised to life in Christ. That is true, that is real, it's done, that's settled. And, and there's no better news in the world than the resurrection reality of spiritual life in Christ. It's just awesome stuff. However, in the same breath, Paul says in verse 5 that you are to put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. It almost sounds like these two things are competing with each other in your life, right? 
You have a new life in Christ, but you also have your old nature, and you've got to do something with it. You see, your, your spirit is it's alive and well, but your flesh is out to destroy you. And these two realities are the reason you sometimes feel pulled in different direction as you walk with Jesus. Sometimes you do good, sometimes you do bad. And this can lead to feelings of failure and frustration. Your spirit is raised to life with Christ, but your flesh, which constitutes old patterns of, and old habits and ways of thinking, that, that part of your existence that you had before you surrendered your life to Christ, right? That, that's all still kind of alive and well, and it's kicking, it's trying to drag you down. And so you're alive with Christ, however your flesh is trying to keep you from everything that God intends for your life. And so for those of you who have submitted your life to Christ, and, and maybe you're still kind of in the middle of making that decision. Maybe you haven't yet. Maybe you're still searching for answers and you're kind of seeking and trying to figure out this whole Christianity thing. But for those of you who have surrendered your life to Jesus, um, when you got up from the grave, uh, or you believe that he got up from the grave and, and he, he conquered sin and death, he's now seated at the right hand of the Father, then the question for, for you guys and for me really isn't, do you believe Jesus got up from the grave? We believe that. The question is, do you live like you got up with him? Because scripture teaches that the tomb of your old life is ever bit as empty as the tomb of Jesus. We're raised with Christ. That's our spiritual position. But we've got this fleshly gravitational pull that's trying to hang on to us. That's our human condition. So our, our position is raised with Christ. Our condition is given into temptation to satisfy our fleshly desires and wants. That's why you still want to, to dial his number, even though you know he's not good for you. That's why you still want to hang out with that, that old group, even though they contradict everything the new you stands for. That's why you find it, uh, that, that, old, that, that temper kind of surging, and you end up yelling at the people that you love most. That's why you have a hard time breaking that addiction. That's why you find yourself going back to the same inappropriate websites time and time again. That's why you're tempted to join in the gossip and you, and you just can't let go of the stress that's eating you from the inside out. That's, that's the human condition. Old habits and behaviors and thoughts that just keep swarming like a bunch of gnats in your life. Right? And so Paul gives us some instructions on how to eliminate that. Um, how to get rid of the sin and all of its negative ramifications in our daily lives in light of an empty tomb. And he says, here's two things I want you to do. Set your hearts on things above and set your minds on things above. Those are two completely different dimensions of living. See, your heart represents your affections and the things that you care about. Your mind represents your attention and what you can focus on. And, and so you are to set your affections and your attention on things above, on godly things. That's not an always, always easy thing to do, right? Um, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can, you can focus on peace and hope and purpose. And, and you don't have to be consumed with worry and anger and selfishness. 
Right? You can set your mind on the, the thoughts of God because when Christ got up from the grave, he hit the kill switch on the old you, and now there's a new you, and you can set your mind in accordance with the things of God. So one of the questions that we can all ask ourselves as we consider our new life in Christ and, and the, the passing away of our old life, and we asked this last week, and you could ask it every single day if you wanted to, is, that, is the life I'm living now worthy of the death Jesus died for me? In other words, am, am I living the life Christ died to give me? Because if you're not, then there's, there's work to be done. But if you've put, you got to put to death the, the sins in, in your life, you know, everything involved with your earthly nature, mortally wounded, I mean, Jesus says, right? You got to deprive it of oxygen, cut off the blood flow. You got to kill it. I mean, nobody else can do that for you. Only you can do that. I can't do it. I mean, I may be able to give you some words of encouragement or a message that might last till Wednesday, doubtfully, but I can't weed out the things in your life that are depriving you of joy and peace and happiness, and so what Paul is advocating here is that you root out the sin in your life. Don't just suppress it or avoid it. You got to get rid of it. And so much of what the world considers Christianity isn't Christianity. It isn't true spiritual transformation. Um, it's behavior modification, you know, just suppressing stuff, trying to control it. Most people don't kill the sin that's in their life. They just try to hide it and it doesn't work. And in this passage, Paul lists several things here that we should put to death. And he just starts rattling them off. He says sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. Now, this by no means is a complete list of all the, the sins that belong to our earthly nature. We've come up with a whole lot of stuff over the last 2,000 years. Um, and, and maybe there's a kind of a separate list that, that applies to, to you. But, but Paul is saying you, you can't just ignore it. You can't sweep it under the rug. You've got to eliminate it. You can't cover it up because God knows all of your thoughts. God knows what's in your heart. God knows about the relationships that are dishonoring him and he knows all of the bad habits that are hurting other people. He knows all of the stuff from your past that you've been carrying around that's weighing you down. And he wants all of that out of your life because his desire is to bring forth his life in you. That's why you have to deal with it head on. And, and let me tell you something. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ gives you the strength to win that battle. I promise you. God never intended for you to hang on to what he hates. If you don't destroy what God hates in your life, then that will end up destroying you. In an effort to take full advantage of the resurrection and, and its use for what it was intended for in our lives, then we could ask another question. Is there a sin in my life that I have, that I have been unwilling to destroy? And, and I'm Am I doing something that's keeping me from living the life Christ intends for me to live? It may be something subtle that you don't give much thought to. Or it may be something that you think, well, that's really not that big of a deal. Or it may be something that you think about every day and it's killing you. It may be the elephant in the room that you won't acknowledge or the 500-pound gorilla that you can't ignore. Whatever it is, you've got to get rid of it. It is time to put it 
to death. Don't just mask over it or ignore it or try to live with it. Time to root it out. Take it to the cross of Christ where your sins were paid in full and you walk in the resurrection, the power of God. There is more to this life, guys, than what the world has to offer you. There is peace. There is freedom. There is wholeness. There is happiness. There is joy. And with the power of the risen Lord, sin no longer has control over you. You have been raised with Christ. He's covered your shame. And the old you is dead and the new you is ready to burst forth and walk under the freedom of God's grace. Christ died for us. And now we live for him. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning that we are raised with Christ. He's covered our shame and he has given us the power to walk by virtue of the resurrection and the newness of life. May we daily put to death every desire that does not come from you. Not by trying harder, not by trying to modify our behavior, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, God. We want to live a life that is worthy of the death Christ died for us. And we pray this prayer in the name of Jesus. And everyone said together, amen. Amen. Guys, we've got one more song this morning. Um, it's a song of invitation. And the invitation is you are, you are welcome to come forward in prayer um, up here. You can just stand here and pray. Uh, me, Jamie, Jared, we'll be up here if you want to pray with one of us. Maybe you just want to stand and sing where, right where you are um, in an attitude of prayer, right? Hands raised, just singing to an almighty God. Let's be standing as we sing this last song.